A few weeks ago, I um, attended a game night here in town, a local kind of meet-up situation. I uh, like to play board games, see all, some of you know that, but uh, I don't have a regular group, so I kind of found these meetups that take place around town, and I was at one of these the other night, uh, several weeks ago at this point, and it was on a Monday night, and I was there, and playing some games, playing with a group of guys, and had probably three or four games in that night, and throughout the evening, I had a headache, right? It's not uncommon. I have headaches. It's kind of a hereditary thing. They kind of run in the family. And uh, I, I, I had one. Didn't think much of it. It's just kind of that mild annoyance at this point, kind of in the back of my mind. And um, just went on, had a good time, went home. I got home. I'm sitting there. And Tessa's gone to bed, and I'm, I'm kind of sitting there winding down from the evening, and I'm, I'm just going, I don't, I don't feel so good. I, my stomach's kind of upset. I'm just feeling kind of cold all of a sudden. I can't get warm all of a sudden. This isn't good, right? And then all of a sudden you stand up and I said, I'm just going to go to bed. And I stand up to go to bed. And as I go upstairs, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And by the time I got upstairs, it was official. I was sick, right? I'll spare you the gory details, but I'll just say I was sick. And I hate it because in my mind, I'm going, I just went and spent all evening sitting around a table, passing cards and passing pieces around and going, infection, 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 here you go, have some disease. It, you know, it's like kind of one of those things where I didn't know walking into the place that night that I was sick. But I walked into a room and shared all kinds of germs with folks from somebody who was carrying some sort of sickness but not showing any symptoms yet, right? It's the symptoms that help us really know we're sick. The, the headache wasn't big enough deal. I could have taken some Tylenol, right? And I could have treated the symptom of the headache. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the symptom of the headache would have maybe been alleviated, but it wouldn't have stopped the germs that were working in other ways in my body because I know based off what happened the next couple days, it was more than just a headache, right? And so in the midst of that, I could have treated the headache, but I, that was the only symptom I had to work with. And it's the same thing. If you go to the doctor and they say, all right, what are your symptoms? We need to know how this is reacting with your body, how this is affecting you so that we know how to treat it, Right? And that's the first thing we kind of say, well, what, what are the symptoms? I we're on WebMD trying to figure things out, trying to d- d- self-diagnose and all this kind of fun stuff. In the midst of that uh, whole situation, I hated the fact that I didn't know I already was infected, but it, it, the symptoms hadn't really shown up. And if I had tried to treat the ones I had, it wouldn't have worked because ultimately there's something deeper. And the same is true with our spiritual life. When we're talking about this sickness that we all have, there is the, a difference between the root of what is really going on in our lives and the symptoms that continue to show themselves as active working sin that we see played out. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to actually start a new series. I told you I was done with Be Still. We finished that up last week. This week we're starting a new series just called The Sickness. Because leading up to Easter, I think it's important for us to take a look at what is broken within us and what is wrong with us that God is ultimately trying to redeem and restore and correct? What is it he's trying to treat by sending his son as the ultimate treatment plan? And so this series, The Sickness, as we're kind of calling it, is going to be kind of a look at Genesis chapters 1 through 11. You all know I like to go to the beginning, right? We're really going to camp out in the beginning for the next few weeks. Chapters 1 through 11 is really this interesting picture of what is happening with humanity and what God created to be good and has now been infected with this sickness of sin 
in our lives. And what happens is this kind of spirals out of control and how it starts to show itself in the symptoms in the people's lives and how it just continues to get worse and worse and worse. Because the first 11 chapters kind of set the tone for how broken we are. And then chapter 12 is this beautiful picture of how God starts to correct the problem. And so leading into Easter, we'll make a bit of a transition. Obviously, we're talking about the resurrection. The spoilers, I know. We'll start a new little series there about God's treatment plan, to how to cure us, how to bring us back into relationship with Him. But I think as we kind of started this year off talking about a need to let God reveal Himself to us, and we talked about how we can find ways in our life to be still, and, and quiet ourselves before God. I think one of these next logical steps is let's talk about how these symptoms start to show up in our life so that when we are being still, when we are seeking God's face, He can more accurately diagnose and show us what's going on in our hearts. And so if you would, we're going to start uh, to get into God's Word and do some other things here, but I want to bow our heads for a word of prayer before we get too much further. Father, I'm thankful for everything we've heard this morning, for the testimonies, for the the sharing of hearts, Father, to the, the lifting up of hearts in your name. And Father, it's my desire and always my heart's desire to see you glorified and lifted up. And this morning you know that there's probably lots of things I could say. But Father, as Justin prayed, I pray you just get me out of the way. That all the things I have to say would be far less important than all the things you want to speak into our hearts and lives this morning. And so Father, I pray that you speak to us, that you move in our lives and in our hearts. And that again, just like Luke 5 um, kind of says, and many other places in the gospel say, Father, you told us that you came to this world not for the healthy, but for the sick, to restore this brokenness that's here, Father, not to, to only hang out with people who have it together, but to f- continue to work on and heal the brokenness that's in our hearts. And so this morning, Father, I know we all walk into this room with brokenness and sickness in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray this morning you begin that work in us and start to help us walk through that. I love you, and it's in the wonderful name of Jesus I pray all these things. Amen. So, like all kids, my kids tend to grab onto something for a span of time and latch onto it really hard. So, like, they get into a movie, we watch that movie for weeks on end, like, six times a day. Not really, but a lot. Feels like six times a day. Same kind of thing sometimes happens with bedtime stories, right? You'll go to say, hey, what bedtime story are we reading? And they'll go grab the same book over and over and over again. And you're going, oh, goody, that book again. Um, but right now, recently, it's been this one, which I don't mind because it's kind of short. Bert and Ernie's first book of opposites, all right? So Bert and Ernie here, you know, Sesame Street, it kind of looks like this. They got the guys in a scene and it says, hello, today Bert and Ernie are learning about opposites. Do you know the opposite of hello? I can't read the next line until you say it. Do you, goodbye, right? Yeah, it's how the way the story works, right? I read that part and then I look at Silas. I go, do you know the opposite of goodbye? And when we first started reading the book, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's opposites? Like, you think about a three-year-old grasping the concept of opposites. Like, it's easy to know maybe the opposite of hello is goodbye. We say those differently, but to know that the context of the word opposite means that, he hadn't quite grasped that. So it's kind of fun to see the lights click on. So that's right. The opposite of hello is goodbye. Or you read the next page, and it says, shh, when Bert goes to the library, he must be very quiet. Do you know the opposite of quiet? Loud, right? Yeah, yes. The opposite of quiet is loud. When Ernie plays the drums, it is very loud. So, Bert and Ernie's book of opposites has gotten into a lot of fun conversations where it's fun to see that light bulb come on and he starts to grasp, okay, I get it, and he knows all these now, but I thought, does he really understand 
the term opposites. So I would test him a little bit, right? I'd give him some options and some opportunities to come up with others. So I thought it'd be fun for a minute to test you all and how good you are with your opposites, okay? So a little quiz. Here's how this will work. I'll say a word and you give me the opposite. Good? We understand? All right. (laughs) It's not what I meant. We'll get to that. (laughs) Slow. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Think of hair in this one. Straight. Curly. Okay. Light. Okay, that works too. <laughs> this was, I should have said lightweight. Heavyweight, right? Yeah, good. It helps when you got pictures. I should have put the pictures up there. Loose or, like clothes, loose or tight, right? How about beautiful? Ugly, right? Or big? Small, yep. Strong? Weak, yep. Healthy? Sick, right? We talked about that. Or, as we already said, good? Bad, right. Actually, I got a picture of that one. This little image I was looking at that I pulled up on my phone with these kids has a picture of this uh, good and bad one. Dan, you got that one? There we go. See a little robber dude uh, here with a little angel, bad and good, right? It's a little picture. You got it right. You got all of them right. Across the board, you got all the answers right. But it's interesting because when I talk about this one, I actually looked it up online. I looked at dictionaries. I looked at all kinds of different resources to try to see if everybody continues to put the word good with the word bad. And consistently, everywhere across the word, across the board that I could find, good and bad were considered opposites. But it's interesting, I said we were going to talk about Genesis chapters 1 through 11, and there's two different words that are used regularly. Good versus evil, right? And I'm not saying necessarily they're opposites, but I do think that the way we have treated those words in our head makes a big difference. The way that we started to think about these words and the definitions and the meanings we start to give them really matter. And we're going to come back to that in a minute and how I think our culture and our world see these two words, good and evil. But to kind of set the tone for Genesis and what we're going to be working through in Genesis, I got a little video. If you don't know, you've maybe heard me mention it, thebibleproject.com. They got a lot of tremendous resources. They've got a lot of videos online, and they continue to make more. It's a non-for-profit organization, so everything they have online is free. They have great overviews of a book. If you're going to read a book of scripture and you're like, I'm not really sure I understand what this is really trying to get at, you can watch their overviews ahead of time, and they do a great job. And that's actually what I want to show you is a little part one of the book of Genesis that will walk us through this intro uh, to these chapters we're going to be looking at. So if you would, turn your attention there and check this out. The first book in the Bible is a book you've probably heard of. It's called Genesis. Genesis comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, it's pronounced reshit, uh, and it just means beginning. Now, there's a lot of stories from the book of Genesis, and it's easy just to pull out a specific story and, and try to tell you what it might mean. But we think the best way to understand this book is to look at the book as a whole and show you how the whole thing is designed. The book is designed to fall into two main parts. You have uh, chapters 1 through 11, which is telling the story of God and the whole world. And then you have the second part, which is about God and Abraham's family, as chapters 12 through 50. And how the two of those parts relate, that's where you find the message of the book. Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. The first part of Genesis begins with a creation story, where God creates everything. And how exactly that happens, of course, that's where all the debates come. But he takes a dark, watery, 
chaos and he turns it into a beautiful garden where humans can can flourish. That sounds nice. It does sound nice. In fact, seven different times God says of all that he's made that it's good. And this is where we meet the first human characters in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They're, they're both individual characters, but they're also representative. Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity, and Eve is the Hebrew word for life. And God creates them in his image. In other words, humanity reflects or is meant to reflect the, the, the creativity, the goodness and character of the creator out into the world that he's made. And they're supposed to reproduce and make cultures and neighborhoods and art and gardens and, and everything else. But he gives them a, a moral choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And this is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. And he tells them, don't eat of the fruit of this tree or you will die. What's that all about? So up till now, God has been the one defining and providing what is good. And so God is the one with the knowledge of good and evil. But now this tree represents a choice. Will the humans trust God's definition of good and evil? Or are they going to seize the opportunity and define good and evil for themselves? And Adam and Eve eat the fruit. This is the core biblical explanation for that concept of sin, that desire to call the shots myself. It's the inward turn of the human heart to do what's good for me and my tribe, even if it's at the expense of you and, and your tribe. And the problem is humans are horrible at defining good and evil without God. And so now that humanity's made this choice, things get really, really, they're really bad. So Genesis 3 through 11 is like tracing this downward spiral of all, all humanity. So Adam and Eve, they can't trust each other anymore. And so there's a little story about how they were naked and felt fine about it beforehand, but now they feel shameful because all of a sudden Adam's definition of good and evil might be different than Eve's, and so they hide from each other. Then there's another story of temptation. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel, and he gives in and kills him. There's a story right after Cain about a guy named Lamech, and all we know about Lamech is that he accumulates wives like property, and he sings songs about how he's a more violent, vengeful person than Cain ever was, and he's proud of it. Things get so bad with the human race that we see God decide to just wipe us out. Yeah, we typically think of the flood story is about God being angry, but it actually begins with God's sadness and grief about the state of his world. And so out of his passion to preserve the goodness of his world, he washes it clean with the flood. But there's a glimmer of hope. He, he chooses Noah and his whole family, and he saves them on this boat. Yeah, don't forget about the animals. Right, and the animals. So Noah and his family are going to reboot all of humanity. I mean, he must be a pretty great guy. But this is the story most people don't know because it's kind of weird is that Noah gets off the boat and he plants a vineyard and he gets totally plastered and then something sketchy happens in his tent with his son. It's a tragic story. So from here humanity grows again but things are as bad as before and the last story is the famous story of the Tower of Babel. And in this story you have all of the nations uniting together to use this new technology they have the brick. And they want to make a name for themselves and build this big city with a huge tower that will reach up to the gods. But God knows that this city will be a nightmare. And so in his mercy, he scatters them. 
And all of these stories, they're underlining the same basic idea. When humans seize autonomy from God, when they define good and evil for themselves, it results in a world of tragedy and death. And this leaves you wondering, is there any hope for humanity? Yes, yeah, there is. It's the very next story that answers that question. It's the beginning of God's mission to rescue and restore his world. So, um, that's just the beginning of resources. They've got topical resources. They've got videos for each and every book of the Bible, give you those overviews, beautiful pictures of just understanding. So I highly recommend checking that out. They'll send you emails with reading plans and their videos and all kinds of good stuff. Great resource if you're looking to go a little deeper. But, with all that said, Genesis chapters 1 through 11, you got a pretty clear picture of kind of this arc of what's happening and how this is all set up in this kind of interesting picture that's probably a little different than most of us think about the tree. Because we think about the tree always as this moment where God said, don't touch it or you'll surely die. And it is disobedience that brings sin into the world. And now sin is this thing that we do. And now sins are all of these horrible things we listed off. Murder, lying, shame, being dishonest, doing all these corrupt and evil, horrible things. And really, there's this picture that they're kind of defining and stating that looks a little different where it's saying, humans have said we're not going to trust God and we're not going to rely on God to define good and evil for us. Because if you think about it, this garden that God gave them in Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to hang out mostly in Genesis so you can turn there and feel free to not worry about me jumping all over creation. If I jump around, it'll mostly be in 1, 2, and 3. We'll make one little jump a little further into the book later. But you, you see this picture where God put them in this garden and he said, not only is it good, at the end he actually says um, of chapter 1, starting in verse 28, it says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds and of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So here's this picture of God establishing all of this stuff and placing mankind created in his own image and likeness to rule over and subdue and have dominion over everything he created. It's this amazing gift and this amazing picture, but in the process of God placing Adam and Eve there, the expectation, the one rule, isn't just don't eat of the tree. The expectation is to trust me. Right? You understand that? Like, it's, it's, it's kind of that... Mindset of like a kid looking at their parents and saying, hey, don't, don't do this. You tell your kids, don't do something. And they have a choice. They have a choice to say, you know what? I want to experience it for myself. I want to try it out for myself. I want to, I want to learn from my own experience. I don't want to trust yours. Because I can tell you all day long, running face first into a brick wall is going to result in pain and hurt, right? So don't run in the house. Because you're going to face plant into that wall in a second. 
if you don't stop. And I can tell you that all day long, but then the temptation is overwhelming for that little kid, right? And all of a sudden, well, no, but running is so much fun. And I, I mean, I just don't know that I believe you that it's going to hurt. I don't believe you that I'm going to get hurt. I'm invincible, right? This will all be okay. Everything is probably not like you say it is. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, you hear the bam, right? The slam into the wall, and then they're bleeding, and you're going to the hospital, all kinds of fun stuff, right? In the midst of that moment, it's a very similar kind of thing. You can trust that God knows what he's talking about and rely on his wisdom and his understanding of what is going to be good for you and what is going to be bad for you, right, or detrimental to you. And there's where we get that concept of that good and bad. What is going to be beneficial and good in the way he designed it. But I think that what's beautiful about Genesis and this picture God paints, we've kind of taken the word good, and I feel like we've watered it down a little bit, right? If I say the word good, more often than not, I'm thinking of like, good dog, good boy, here, here's a treat. You know, you, you behaved well, you didn't pee on the carpet kind of thing for the dog, right? It's a good behavior sort of thing. Or if you go out to a restaurant and I say, how was the food? You know, like, that was good. What does that mean? I mean, was it really good or was it kind of okay or was it not bad so it was good? Like, it wasn't the worst food I'd ever had, but it wasn't the best. We didn't go, oh, it was great, you've got to eat there. Like, we look for that review. If somebody says good, it's, in my mind, I kind of checked that off as, okay, I might get around to it someday, maybe. It wasn't a rave review, but it wasn't a bad review either, right? Good is this kind of word that feels mediocre. It feels like something that is passable, right? And so when we say, we hear people say this all the time, he's a good person. I'm a good person. Why would God do something horrible like that to such a good person? We are defining our own understanding of good because of this fall, because we have chosen to define good and evil for ourselves. And for us, good is this watered-down kind of term that means he's relatively well-behaved. He's a good boy. He doesn't break the laws too bad. I mean, everyone's my speeds, but that's not that big of a deal, really, right? And we, we just kind of define good person as like, he's generally kind to other people. He's, he's in general a good person. Well, the reality is, what God is trying to create in this garden isn't just something that's good and passable. He is creating something that is perfect and beautiful and right. And everything is in order. And the relationship between man and God is perfect and flawless. And God is speaking and God is teaching and God is working in the hearts of man. And he is giving them instruction, and he is guiding them along the way. He's telling them what tasks they should do. He has given them work to do and things to subdue over and rule over and have dominion over. He's given them his creativity and his life, and everything that is a part of his character is in us, is in Adam and Eve, right? Everything is good and just as it should be, complete and right and whole. But the problem is... The serpent comes along in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, there's this picture of this temptation that takes place. And I want to point your attention to exactly what happens with the, the serpent. And I know some of you might go, well, they didn't even talk about the snake. That's right. There's other videos where they talk in depth about the snake. And they can't put 20-minute videos together every time. So they try to keep them bite-sized. But trust me, there's a lot of others that talk about in depth what the snake is doing and what is significant about all that. But I want you to hear this temptation, this encounter that takes place. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Do God, did God actually say you should not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, <coughs> excuse me, was to be desired, or desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here's the deal. The temptation comes in and the serpent says this. You surely won't die. I love the moment where he tells, the, this is why he is the master manipulator in this sense, in this moment. If, if any of you have had an experience with lying in your life, whether you've been the liar or been lied to, some of the worst and most effective lies are the ones that are based on truth. It's called deception. It's the half-truth. Well, I'm going to tell you partially the truth, but I'm going to tell you it in such a way that really misleads you. And in this moment, he says, you won't surely die. Because we know the moment they eat the fruit, they don't drop dead, do they? You surely won't die physically in this moment right away. And that half-truth, that manipulation, breaks some of that trust. Who do I trust? Do I trust you or do I trust God? It puts that seed of doubt. Am I really going to rely and lean on God for everything? Or am I better off to have that for myself? To grasp and hold on to that knowledge so that I can have everything. Because I'm like God in some ways. I'm creative. I'm, 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 I'm created in his image in so many levels so many attributes of what i have and what i possess are like him but man i could be more like him if i took from this for myself and i i got to kind of decide what's going to be good for me and i get to decide in this moment that this tree is better for me than what he knows because we never get a clear indication god doesn't say forever and for always you will never be allowed to touch this tree right it's possible just like me hey you're always going to hold my hand as you walk across the street right I can tell that to my kids, and they need to hold my hand to walk across the street until they get old enough to understand how the street works, yes? And at that point, I can let them navigate that step on their own. And it's never to say that God was never going to allow us to have knowledge, to have better understanding, but he wanted that to come from him. He wanted it to be defined on his terms. He wanted it to be given and handed down in the way he wanted it to be. This was all about us trusting and relying and leaning on God. And in that moment, Adam and Eve said, no, we're going to trust and rely and lean on us. What was good was that man rely fully and trust and depend wholly and completely on God for their understanding, for their strength, for their, their, their everything. And what man truly did to break relationship with God was what we call evil. And when we say evil, I, I talked about how we define good. I think when we define evil, there's a different thing that pops into our mind. We automatically start thinking of all these horrible, horrific stories that they start to paint through the rest of the book of Genesis. And we're going to talk about those, but if we look at them truly, there's a deeper-seated issue. It's not just the symptom that's showing in murder or in despicable things that happen in a tent, but that's often the thing that comes to our mind when we say evil. We start to think of, of horrible, horrible things that, that happen in this world. 
we think of death, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah and events like that. We think of some of these things that are happening in our world that just seem despicable and despisable. And we think about dictators who kill hundreds and hundreds of people. We think about all the atrocities and the horrible things. We think about black clouds and shadows with dark or bright glowing red eyes coming out of them. When we say evil, we paint this really, really dark picture. But if I were to say to you that every one of us in this room is evil, that makes us uncomfortable. It's easier to define evil as this horrible, very serious, far from us kind of thing and to kind of water down good and to keep those terms separated from each other. And the reality is it's exactly what the serpent was doing then and it's what he's continuing to do now. If I can get you to define these things so incorrectly and I can get you to take that fruit and let you start deciding what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil, what's right in this world and what's broken and messed up in this world, if I can give that definition over to you, we can see what happens, right? Because everybody has a definition of, a different definition of what's true and what's right and what's good. And we haphazardly disagree on what's right and wrong all over the place because we all have our own definitions and our own understandings. And the reality of it is this evil doesn't require us to go out and murder someone for us to be evil, to have evil in our hearts. In fact, I said I was going to jump ahead a little bit. Genesis chapter 8, the very end, and we're not going to talk about the flood just yet, but after the flood, there's a significant little thing that God says, and we're going to kind of come back to the flood story later, or more specifically the tent story, and we're going to look at some of these symptoms over the next couple of weeks. But right here it says this in verse 20 of chapter 8, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some very clean animal, or took every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Here's the thing. If I rewind back there a little bit, I will never again curse the ground because of man. That sounds like great news, right? God's just done this, and we know about the rainbow. We know about the promise that's down here in chapter 9. But hear what he said next. I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. I'm never going to curse it again because I could wipe out man after man after man, and God recognizes that from the moment we are born, we are infected with the sickness. That evil has been in our hearts from our youth. Now, there's this beautiful thing, and I want to point this out before I go too far, because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. We're still in this phase in our house a lot. You know how you give a kid a bath? And then they run through the house completely naked and screaming and giggling and laughing and don't think anything of it. There is an innocence there where they do not grasp. There there is definitely an evil inclination because that evil is still, no, I want to do it my way. No, I'm going to put my foot down and I don't care if you're my parent. I'm going to do what I want to do. Do you recognize the evil? I don't care what your definition is. I'm going to do it my way. The beautiful thing is there's also an innocence where that shame And all of those other things hasn't sunk in yet. There's not a really good grasp and understanding, and I believe wholeheartedly that God has grace for innocent. 
But the reality is from the moment we are born, we have a selfish tendency that says, I'm going to take care of me and I'm going to do this thing based off my understanding of what's right and wrong. I'm going to do this thing based off what is always going to be best for me. I'm going to define what's best for me. I'm going to define the best way to use my time. I'm going to define who I should be and what I should be and how I'm going to go. And all of this sickness that seeps in is when we stopped saying, God, what do you want? And we turned it inward and we said, you know what? I want that. And I'm going to take it. Evil that is in our hearts, the sickness that we all have is the evil in our hearts where we have turned to ourselves and we have put ourselves first and we've said God takes the back seat. And the problem is, is that when we talk about evil in the world, it's really easy to point the finger outside the door and say this world is an evil mess. They're constantly doing this, this, and this because we've painted this grandiose picture of evil being such a large and horrible and atrocious thing. But it sometimes becomes very difficult for us to really look at ourselves and find the evil that still infects us because we're not killing We're not participating in this sexual immorality. We're not participating in this thing that the world does. We're not participating in this. Therefore, I'm not an evil person. I'm a pretty good person. And the lie continues because we are continuing to define good, not based off what God designed and what his perfect intentions were, where our eyes are completely fixed and surrendered and dependent wholeheartedly on him, but the evil in ourselves where we are still looking for ourselves for answers. And the reality is over the next couple weeks, I want us to really wrestle with the symptoms that are painted in all these pictures. Not the the pouring out of murder, you know, Cain and Abel and the murder and, and all the different things that take place. But there is kind of this underlining sickness that starts to show up emotionally in the heart long before they ever act on some of these things. There is... There's a sickness and a, and, a, and a symptom that is helping us see. It's like that headache. If I should have caught on. If I would have known that that headache was going to be me being sick, I maybe could have spared somebody else the trouble of being sick too, right? But the reality is for us, it's hard for us to continue to grow and get well and get better if we can't recognize our own sickness. And if we continue to say, I'm a pretty good person. I don't do this and I don't do that. And we lump ourselves in with the good crowd because we don't recognize the evil that still exists in us. It's easy to just keep on walking and ignoring it. But the reality is, as this spiral takes place in Genesis, there are a lot of indicators that will help us recognize some of the sickness that still exists in us today. And that's what we want to do, because ultimately, it is extremely important that we turn our eyes to God, we be still and stand in His presence and seek Him out to say, God, I want to recognize the evil in my life. I want to recognize my tendencies to be focused on self because I recognize that I need to be transformed through you and your son. And so, Father, help me. Give me strength. Allow me to be who you want me to be. And you'll notice I put in the bulletin this week a little prayer. I haven't done that before, but if you look at the sermon notes there, there's just a simple little prayer to kind of give you some guidance on how to pray this week. They're not just the scriptures to read, and there's scriptures in there you can continue to look over and kind of pour over and study on. But there's also things in there that will allow you to pray and say, God, here's my heart, and here's what I want to do to draw closer to you. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and we're going to sing to close out this morning and have a time of prayer. But I just want us to wrestle over the next couple weeks. I want us to wrestle with 
what is the evil, what is the sickness, what is the brokenness that is still in us? And as we, be, as we find ourselves trying to be still before God, how can we quiet ourselves in his presence and start to wrestle with how this still affects our life today? Because none of us, though the cure has been provided, the treatment plan has been provided, Jesus has come, and that's ultimately what we're leading up to, is Easter and the resurrection, which radically makes a massive impact on this brokenness in our lives. But in the midst of all that, as we lead up to that, as we wrestle through these things, how can we grow and continue to become more like the image we were created to reflect? How can we identify and recognize our own brokenness so we can celebrate with more joy and more enthusiasm at the gift that's been given to us? How can we continue to become who he wants us to be? And so that's what we want to wrestle with over the next couple weeks. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And if this morning you need prayer just to kind of wrestle through and say, God, where is it you're trying to take me? What is it you want to do in my heart? Come on up, we'll pray with you. If you're going through something specific and just need someone to pray with you, absolutely we're here. If you want to get to know Jesus, as always, please let us know. We happily introduce you. But whatever it is you're wrestling with this morning, I just pray you lay it at his feet and just recognize that it's really easy to say, I'm a pretty good person, and stop there and never dig deeper to try to get to the root of what is really going on in my heart. How am I still holding on to my own understanding of what's right and wrong? How am I still holding on to my own definitions of what is good and what's not. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I'm thankful for this day. Father, I'm thankful for everything that you're working in us, but Father, I pray right now as we understand and we look at this initial story and we look at this stuff, I just pray, Father, that you would help us to wrestle and not be content with just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I pray, Father, that you would help us to recognize and identify the ways that evil is held on to us, Father. From the moment we were born, it's so easy for us to hold on to what we think is right and what we think is good and to stamp our feet and say, no, I'm going to do it my way. But, Father, I want to be surrendered at your feet, and I want to give everything to you this morning. And so, Father, I pray you speak to our hearts and transform us and change us this morning. It's in the name of Jesus I pray all these things. Amen.